You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold and you are listening to Pain.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, let's jump right back into this World Economic Forum, June 26, 2022. Panel discussion on central bank digital currencies and we were ending here with with Axel of uh, Credit Suisse representing the so-called private sector, the commercial banks. Let's continue, folks. Many cycles through technologies of all kinds that go up and down and new things come and benefits are created. Um, set to put, last but not least, you can answer the what the heck question, but you can also answer some of the questions that have been <laughs> posed here. They've answered I the, know. The what the heck really Yes, well, I have because to you've add, done so wholesale and you've looked at the retail payments and you've been going on this since 2018. And I think you have sort of strong views on takeaways about all of these things and and the benefits and the challenges. Okay, so now we're moving on to Seth. Seth is the governor of the Bank of Thailand. Now, he was just involved, Thailand was involved, and Seth being the governor of the Bank of Thailand, that's the central bank there, was just involved with the Bank for International Settlements task called the Innovation Hub which was built by consensus sitting on top of Ethereum. And China was involved as well as two other countries. We covered that a few episodes ago. So this guy just got off a cross-border test pilot uh, using an Ethereum-based consensus-built product. All right, let's continue. Yeah, Maybe I could share some of the, the, the lessons that we've learned yeah. from um, working in the in the, in the CBDC space. We started off, as, as Julia mentioned, about um, five years or so doing a bunch of um, proof of concepts. Um, started off with wholesale CBDC. Then we went to cross-border um, mm-hmm. wholesale CBDC because that, that's an area where we think there's an obvious lot of pain points. Uh, cross-border payments and you know the whole correspondent banking system yep. doesn't work terribly well and you know, it takes a long time and everything. Yeah. So there, there, there was a problem there to solve. Okay, so right there, that's an important little nugget we picked up. So they're admitting to a lot of pain points a lot of pain points in the cross-border wholesale central bank digital currency, right? So that's transferring of uh, transactions between the central banks and the commercial banks. So he's saying there's a lot of pain points there. This is important, folks, because this is the kind of stuff you want to look for in future discussions. Because if that comes up, and that is going to be a major issue, those are delays, Okay, in their plan to roll this out at warp speed. So the more pain points there are, the more delays there are in their being able to roll this out and bring central bank digital currency to fruition. All right, let's continue. Um, And uh, we started off working together with the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, um, establishing a a uh, um, cross-border payment corridor. And uh, that since has been uh, extended on a more multilateral basis. Uh, it's called the Enbridge Project. Um, the PBOC Bank China is involved and the UAE is involved in that and the, and the BIS as well. Okay, so that's the Enbridge Project. We covered that. That was under the Innovation Hub. So he's saying Hong Kong, China, Bank for International Settlements, Thailand. All right, so that's the project that we covered. Again, built by consensus on top of Ethereum. Let's continue. So and, and our next phase now is, is to, to, to think um, more on the retail space, and we're looking at doing a, um, a pilot 
a limited pilot, nothing on the size of China, uh, in fourth quarter of this year. Um, so I should caveat this by saying that these these are testing and experimentation. We haven't rolled it out yet. At one point, no. again, you know, there yeah. are a lot of there are a lot of banks looking at it, right? But the number of central banks have actually done this, right? This has been yeah, relatively um, limited, and I think I think that's important to keep in mind because um, it, it's got to be clear what problem <laughs> solve. So. Excuse me, folks. Just so you know, on the audio side, the person who is breathing heavy into the microphone is not me. The person sneezing and huffing and puffing and picking their nose is not me. All right. That's coming from the video. Uh, but as he just pointed out, they are in Thailand working on a retail test of central bank digital currency, but not on the scale of China. Now, they claim in China that they have 128 million people involved in the retail space test, at least at the time of this, which was about six months ago. All right, let's continue. So with that background, if I may, uh, some of the takeaways and whatnot. First point, um, beyond the technology, uh, one thing we discovered, particularly in the wholesale CBDC cross-border um, project, um, is that blockchain, the way it's set up, is, is it's really for, it's very good for things that are to be open and transparent. But when you try to put in kind of anonymity in it, it's very, it, it, it affects the, you know, the, the, the ability of it to scale. Data privacy. So, yeah. Um, so, when we, you know, in, in the, in the cross-border wholesale CBDC, you didn't want everybody to kind of see what transaction you were doing, right? You wanted the people that were part of the transaction to see, but not the other people to see that. But when you put in these anonymity things, it really affected the computational problems, and then, you know, it made it that much more difficult to scale. There's an irony here. About, there's an irony here, just as an aside, about the criticisms of, of blockchain technology in a way by those that perhaps don't understand is that you, you can hide in some way behind it. And mm. you're just making the point that this is oh. actually so transparent in this regard that actually data privacy becomes... It, yeah, yeah. Forgive it, me for interrupting. A, not at all. Okay, so again, important to understand that here. So what he is saying, uh, Seth, from the Bank of Thailand, is that in their wholesale tests... Those would be these transactions between the central banks and the commercial banks. When they were testing on blockchain, sort of the transactions were too transparent. So when they tried to add these anonymity la uh, layers, uh, what was happening was it was basically slowing down the system. All right. So again, this could be a pain point in the technology. It could be a pain point in the technology. Again, this is good for us. You know, the more that slows them down, buys us more time. Now, I still come from the standpoint of the idea of central bank digital currency is inevitable. It's in motion. Okay, the people in power want it. The question is, how much time do you and I have to insulate ourselves from it? Or to be able to set up our lives in a way where we don't have to interact with it except for when we want to or we are completely forced into doing it. So the more pain points there are, the more problems that they have, the better it is for people like you and I. Because does it extend our uh, time frame from one year to two years to five years to 10 years to 15 years before this system is complete? Do we have the ability to insulate ourselves 
If all of a sudden my goal is, or uh, the way we're working now, like, oh, I'm not going to be able to buy this property in West Virginia for two more years. Uh, am I going to have enough time to pull something like that off? Or is CBDC coming in six months and then I'm screwed? I'm not going to be able to pull that off. So the more information we have, the more we understand their pain points as they sit here and talk in these panel discussions amongst each other as central bankers and commercial bankers and regulators and decision makers and policy makers, the more information we can gather, and then we'll have a better understanding of how long it's going to take them to roll out this system. Let's continue. Second point on technology that we, we discovered is, is uh, programmability. It, it, it's a selling point, but it also has its drawbacks. Um, if you think about um, smart contracts, they're, they're, they're supposed to self-execute, right? Um, which means that you got to specify all that stuff kind of upfront. So there's a lot of ex-ante burden trying to specify all the conditions, all the states of the world, because you don't have recourse to that kind of ex-post, you know, go to the courts and settle and, and, and get uh, um, some kind of remedial measures. But that's, that's a very difficult thing to do. I mean, think about how smart contracts would be able to handle something when foreseen, like sanctions on Russia, yeah. right? So contracts, smart contracts, which might look smart under some circumstances, under different circumstances, aren't gonna look terribly smart. So that's, you know, an issue. And we, we found this with, with, with uh, when we were doing, again, doing the, the wholesale cross-border CBDC project. Okay, so then, again there, right? Another pain point. He brings up smart contracts. Okay, and he's talking about this idea that they have to program all of these rules into place before certain transactions are done, and then it's very difficult to go back and change those smart contracts. Now, some of the technology I've been reading about is that it can be done in real time uh, through algorithms, through artificial intelligence and such. But this is good. We're getting to hear him talk about the pain points that they're experiencing from the technocratic side of things. All right, let's continue. The, the last set of uh, points and takeaway on, on lessons would be on, on um, risks and design. Um, that um, the devil really is in the detail in terms of de design. I think a lot of the risks that people talk about in CBDC, um, you can't talk about in a blanket way. It really depends how you design it. So, for example, you know, if you do a two-tier system, right, I think that, that avoids a lot of the, the risks that people concern about, you know, disseminating banks or the privacy concerns that the central bank knows exactly what you're doing. Um, uh, if you do uh, CBDCs that don't pay any interest, then again, it reduces the, the, the danger of, um, uh, you know, <laughs> Runs on banks, uh, setting limits years on of not getting any interest, but yes. Or, or if you're worried about currency substitution, which is something that mm -hmm. people are also concerned about, which I personally don't think is a, that big of an issue for most economies. But if you're worried about, it, then you can design it so that say, non-residents can't hold CBDC. Sure. Right. So, so there are ways around design which can reduce the risk. So, those would be the takeaways. The design is critical, and you only get one shot at this because. Yeah. Okay, so that's important, too. He's talking about the design of this, right? How the whole system works, all the rules that have to be put into place. And so, very important. I mean, they have a lot of work to do. But again, this is why we're finding white papers with, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of pages because they're sitting here trying to architect this entire new payment system. But uh, this is why I find this stuff to be fascinating. Fascinating. So we're just picking up here from the chairman of the Bank of Thailand, all of these pain points that he came across in their 
test pilot project in cooperation with the Bank for International Settlements. Let's continue. So the point about trust again, you get it wrong. And so your experiences too. And, and actually to that point though about the, the foreign exchange risk as well, I just wonder whether it makes a central bank digital coin one day easier in a big trade area like a eurozone that all uses the same currency or the united states for example just thinking out loud but please your experiences no i'm very happy to, that thanks to this panel and thanks to, to axel and setaput we speak about all sales cbdc because yeah. usually yeah. the blind spot yeah. the missing link of the discussion i will say one word on retail but we believe in wholesale. Uh, and in the yep. Banque de France, we have also run nine experiments already. We published last November uh, uh, some takeaways. Uh, if I can insist on two purposes we strongly believe in. First is tokenization of financial markets. We will have two legs, cash and securities. And second, as you said, is cross borders. So the use cases are quite obvious. They don't interest much politicians and public opinion, but we will have, I strongly believe, all sales CBDC. And by the way, we decided with the ECB to create a second work stream on retail CBDC. Okay, so this is Frank, all right, again, he's chair of the Bank for International Settlements and the governor of the Bank of France, France's central bank, and he is talking about how uh, they just ran nine tests in France and they are going to have wholesale CBDC. He is pretty sure of that, that that is coming like ASAP. So that system uh, will be in place. Now he's about to get into uh, what they're talking about with retail CBDC and we are going to analyze that when we get back from this short break. My name is Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold. Thank you all very much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, this important analysis of this World Economic Forum June 2022 panel discussion on central bank digital currencies. We're picking up a lot of information now from the banksters, the commercial and the central bankers, ladies and gentlemen, as they fight it out on stage. Who's going to be the king of the digital currency? All right, let's continue here. We are listening to Frank Francois of the Bank of France and the Bank for International Settlements, and he's about to discuss retail central bank digital currency. Let's continue. Excel, you are right. It raises more questions. Uh, but this is where public interest oh, is. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say that on this field, I don't have all the answers yet. We will have a prototype in the ECB uh, till the end of 23. But here again, I think we should build a partnership with banks. This has been the history of currency and payments again. If we have a ceiling on CBDC holdings, if accounts are managed by commercial banks and not by the central banks, 
Uh, I don't believe that the issue of currency substitution, for example, would in that case be, be a, real, a real story. To, to give you a very simple commitment, we in the Banque de France had private accounts till 2004. Okay. I don't want to reopen any of them. So if we have CBDC, it will be done with the commercial banks and clearly using their skills. Again, it's a partnership. Okay, okay. Very important. Very important. Very important information. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. So what he was saying is, one, they at the Banque de France are going to have a test pilot on central bank digital currency for the retail side by the end of 2023. Now, he's going to drop more intelligence later on in this conversation. And what he is doing, folks, he is basically begging Axel of Credit Suisse representing the so-called private sector side, the commercial banks, to join forces and we will allow you, we the central banks, the Bank for International Settlements leading this up, we will allow you to run all of the private accounts. And he said at the uh, Bank de France, we had private accounts there at the central bank up until 2004, and we don't want to handle private bank accounts. So we will let you, the commercial banks, have a seat at the table. He's setting up the buy-in uh, for those folks to get on board and lend their infrastructure, their technology, their innovation, and um, their skill set. Uh, to the table if they will handle the private accounts with the central bank digital currency. That's what he just said. That's what he just said. He is there to publicly uh, create buy-in for the commercial banks and the so-called private sector. And he welcomes them with open arms. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this. That's what Consensus is doing with the partnerships with Visa and the partnerships with MasterCard. They are creating the private sector buy-in to get on board and work more closely with the central banks to allow them to issue central bank digital currency. That's what we just saw happen right there in real time. All right, let's continue. It's interesting because, I mean, remember when we're talking about wholesale, just for those that perhaps are watching going, what do you mean wholesale retail? It's bank to bank talking commercial banks to commercial banks that send money between countries around the world. But then when we're talking about retail, we're talking about consumers. And, and I think this comes back to one of the critical questions. And one of the reasons why I actually was interested in this in the beginning was remittances. And we've talked about this. For people that are trying to send money abroad to families for whatever reason, there is such high fees and so much money lost. And it's, for me, one of the fundamental questions is, how do we make that better? I think it's $48 billion mm -hmm. lost in fees and in, in remittances uh, on an annual basis. Okay, so this is uh, Julia speaking. She's the anchor from CNN that's hosting it. She's full of crap. Um, that's the tug at the heartstrings. That is the play to human emotion. So what she's talking about is when, uh, let's say, illegal aliens from Mexico or Central America or South America come up here to the United States. Let's just use the U.S. as an example. And then they're sending money back home via Western Union. And the fees are really high. How do we make that more affordable to them? Or folks that are here, like my wife has a couple of friends that are Russian. She has a couple of friends that are Ukrainian. And the Russians can't even 
send money back home now. So a friend of hers, her parents live in Russia, and she can't send money back to her parents. She used to help them out. And she can't do that because of the sanctions. So what Julia here is saying is, oh, this is one of the reasons why I got involved. Oh, this is one of the reasons why I got involved with this. Because I'm worried about remittances. How are people going to send money back home? And it's so expensive. Right. They want to issue central bank digital currency. Spend trillions of dollars on the development. Create a whole 25-year fake climate change hustle to push forward with CBDC. Create the collapse of FTX to consolidate, regulate, monopolize, and centralize the entire crypto system so that they could help people send money back home to their home countries at a cheaper rate. Give me a break, because if that's what it's about, the central bank could just subsidize the transactions, the transaction costs for Western Union and all this other stuff. It's it's such nonsense. But again, tugging at heartstrings, playing to human emotion. All right, let's continue. Are we suggesting then that we never get to a point? And we haven't also answered the question of whether... Are we point blank saying at this stage a private company can't achieve this? Because, you know, there are participants in the audience, there are members of the audience who are tackling this very thing. Are we saying that CBDs are not the right solution and are fast payments perhaps an an alternate um, option for the retail consumer? And could a private company achieve what you're saying is a huge challenge for many reasons Mm. for central banks? Big questions. Yeah. let, let, let's start from... Okay, so we're going to go back to Kristalina, uh, Chris, over at the International Monetary Fund on this question. Could a private sector business tackle this problem without the central banks being involved? Let's continue. What we have. Today, a um, consumer in New York City can pay for food in a Chinese restaurant with a pay system, Alipay, in RMBs. So already the private initiative has moved this transborder payments, but you can only do it within a corporate world to which you belong with your phone-based uh, app. Okay, so what she's talking about here, because uh, I just experienced it when I was over in Poland in uh, August with my wife. So my wife used, let's say, I, I think it was her Visa card, like a credit card, and she made a payment at a store. It'll actually say, do you want to pay this in U.S. dollars and have it converted? Or do you want to pay it directly in Zwate? That's like the Polish dollar. And so right on the keypad, you can literally pay it in Zwate's, and then the transaction fee is actually less. Now, it's it's like trying to figure out your cell phone bill. You really can't. And so you just take a guess. You go, well, I think this one is going to be cheaper to do it this way. But that's what she's talking about. The ability to uh, pay in a foreign exchange in different countries and such. All right, let's continue. Uh, What we do not yet have is international settlement based on CBDCs. CBDCs are not yet internationalized. Mm. But this is where the potential to cut cost of remittances is. Today, 
on average, 6.3%. So you are a worker and you want to send money to your family in euros, in dollars. 6.3% is the cut of the intermediary. And obviously, this is an opportunity for advancement to use technology to make advancements. Where is the difficulty? Okay, so what she's saying there is, you're here in the U.S., right? You want to send money, you're from, uh, I don't know, let, let's, say, let's say my wife is going to send money back to her, her mom in Poland. She wants to send $100. So $6.30 gets taken uh, as a transaction fee in the transfer, all right? So send money over to Poland. And she's saying, well, if we have CBDC, we can cut that cost. Yeah, okay, right. Of course, we end up with a system of complete and total control. Never mind that. You know, a system that allows the central banks to control the means of production and the distribution of goods and services, along with the tech companies that are going to control the entire system. Don't worry about that, folks, because we're going to cut that 6.3% transaction fee down for you. All right, let's continue. The difficulty is that... Today, monetary policy in a country, or as it is the case in the Eurozone, within the Eurozone, is defined by the central bank, the FED, the European Central Bank. And this monetary policy applies to the territory, the jurisdiction. How could central bank digital currency cross borders and go into another jurisdiction. Would that create a risk of currency substitution? So the, uh, everybody says, I want uh, ECB's uh, CBDC. I want the, uh, yeah. the E-Euro. E -Euro. Uh, and these are unresolved uh, issues, but it doesn't mean they cannot be resolved. This is why from the fund we are advocating to think about this world of digital money as a global public good. And in a recent discussion in Zurich, where we, we both were, what we advocated for is to have a public platform. So when protocols are, are agreed, it, this public platform can connect different CBDCs it can be, there can be interoperability the same way you would transfer euros from one country sure. to another, you do it using CBDCs. We feel that we are actually a bit behind the curve. In, in other words, regulators, national regulators and uh, uh, standard settling bodies like the um, um, uh, FSB, the, the Financial Stability Board, that we have to work on it. Good news, FSB started work in 19 streams, very systematic, very detailed. Not so good news. In meanwhile, we may be in a situation in which jurisdictions make decisions, but they do not underpin interoperability. Actually, what you said about BIS, the Band for International Settlement, they have done something wonderful. They created an innovation lab, 
and it is connecting countries. So when they work on their their uh, pilots, on their proof of concept, they actually share. can partner, can share. So we can build that public platform for the benefit of uh, consumers. Um, and and there, what would be the role of of banks? Well, I personally. Okay, so let's pause right there for a second because she didn't say a lot, but she talked so slowly. But what she's talking about there, folks, is as of right now, if they can launch a central bank digital currency, let, let's just pretend there's 100 countries. Let's make it simple. It's like between 105 and 112 are always working on it. Some drop out. They come back into the game. Uh, Wide Awake Jim says you need, hundred, I think, 190 to 194 countries all on the same system. Right now, they're not looking at having one, let's call it one uh, New World Order money, you know, one form. Each of these individual countries, and let's just say 100, let's make it simple. So you'll have 100 CBDC. So you'll have the U.S. dollar CBDC. You'll have the euro CBDC. So what they're talking about now is the ability to spend your U.S. CBDC, you know, inside of Europe or be able to transfer it from the United States over to Europe and how these will all be interoperable. Now, I think the end goal, yes, would be to have one world currency. Of course, it makes things very easy for them, a one world currency system, just like in Europe, when they formed the European Union, they forced all these countries into it. They created a euro. Now, some countries like Poland still have their own currency, but they also accept the euro. So if you go into a corner store in Poland, you can pay with the euro. You can also pay with the Zwate, the Polish money. So when I went to the exchange window at the mall and I got uh, U.S. dollars exchange for Zwates, I got Zwates. Some people would get euros. So my wife's brother, he lives in Germany. That's where he works. When he comes home, he has euros and he spends euros. All right, so it, it depends. So this is what they're talking about. And they're saying growing out of, I think she was saying Bank for International Settlements, working on this platform, uh, you know, like an app where you can exchange CBDCs right on there for the different currencies, all becomes very complicated, very complex. But this is what they're talking about. So their end goal would be, yes, a one world currency. But right now, they are inching forward, folks. It's the slow boil of the frog in the pot. They don't want to create a bank run where everyone goes and tries to pull their money out of the bank. They don't want to create a revolution where people actually rise up with pitchforks and muskets and drag these people out of their homes. So they're coming up with solutions that create buy-in. They're coming up with the bribes and they're coming up with the carrots and the sticks. So we can't allow this to happen. That's a plus. Uh, but if you don't do this, we'll do this. That's a minus. So you have the carrot and you have the stick. So that's what they're talking about. They're creating buy-in for the commercial banks. We'll give you a seat at the table. You could manage the individual accounts. They're creating buy-in for us. They're creating buy-in for displaced immigrants all around the world. You didn't think that stuff was unintentional. No, they push people out into different 
different countries, and then they have problems sending money back home, and so now they're going to have a solution for them. So they have all these different little pockets of people. They're going to have uh, here in the United States the people who get Social Security, the people who get disability, the people who get welfare. They're going to have the people they give UBI to, like the gig workers. They're going to drive them into that industry. They're creating buy-in amongst all these little pockets of customers. They're dividing people up into groups, and then they're going to create buy-in within those groups and then force adoption. And so that's really what she is talking about there, folks, is the ability for these countries to retain at least some semblance of a sovereign currency so you can have the digital franc, the digital zwate, the digital yen. But in the end, it's all going to come together on this system, this exchange that they are building. And eventually, in their dream, it will turn into a one-world currency. But right now, they have to get people to accept the technology to get them one step closer to the dream of a one-world currency. But they will do this piece by piece. I believe these people are very patient, and they do think generationally. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. 